Thank you for joining us. Our goal at Church of the Rock is to help you know God, live free, and find purpose. To learn more about us, please check out our website at churchoftherock.ca or stay connected with our free app available for Apple and Android devices. I am carrying on the series that began a few weeks ago called Simply Supernatural. And we've been trying to simplify the supernatural is what we've been trying to do. Tell everybody that it's about us and that it's accessible to us. And, you know, one of the things I always try to remind people is that we are a charismatic church. And this is what the writer of Hebrews said. He said, give the more earnest heed to the things that I've taught lest you drift away. And here's what we discover. That if we don't give heed to certain things, we will drift away from them. You know what the first thing to go from the early church was? The supernatural. The charismatic things. And, and I always tell people that we are an unapologetic, charismatic church. We believe in the power of the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, the gifts in the, of the Holy Spirit. And we're not going to make apologies for it. I think my joke, my, my, uh, my light bulb joke says it all. Do you know this one? How many charismatics does it take to change a light bulb? Well, it takes 10. One to change the bulb and nine to intercede against the spirit of darkness. (laughs) Do you know how many Pentecostals it takes? Well, it only takes one, but it can be any of them because they all got their hands in the air anyway. Uh, You know how many uh, Calvinists it takes to change a light bulb? None. God is sovereign. He determines who's in the light and who's in the dark. Do you know how many Catholics it takes to change a light bulb? None. Catholics use candles. Everybody knows that. How many Baptists does it take to change a light bulb? Change? Who said anything about change? (laughs) That's like the other one. How many psychologists does it take to change a light bulb? And the answer is one, but the bulb has to want to change. (laughs) How many mystery writers does it take to change a light bulb? Well, two, one to turn the bulb almost all the way in and another to give it a surprising twist at the end. (laughs) You know, there's a lot of these jokes, but I better quit while I'm behind. So here's what we've been doing in this series. We've been looking at the supers, and in week one, we looked at supercharge me, and that was about the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Week two, superhero or sidekick, and we were talking about how the fact that Jesus didn't want to leave his disciples as sidekicks, but in his departure, move them into superheroes. Week three, we talked about the secrets to the superpowers, and today my message is entitled, Going Supersonic. Now, supersonic, I don't know if you know this, but the meaning of that word has actually changed. Prior to the 20th century, it actually meant a range of frequency above what the human ear can hear, which today would be ultrasonic. But in those days, that's what supersonic was until 1947. Who remembers what happened in 1947? Chuck Yeager flying his Bell X-1, here it is, broke the sound barrier in the air and, and it was an incredible moment. His plane, by the way, was called Glamorous Glennis. You know who that was? Yeah, it was his wife. Yeah, that's exactly right. And everybody thought he was going to die breaking the sound barrier, but he did. And then that term uh, became known. Supersonic means to go faster than the speed of sound. By the way, Chuck Yeager lived to 97 years old. He did all these heroic feats and, and, and never died doing it. And yet, after he broke the sound barrier, a reporter came up to him and said, is there nothing in this world you're afraid of? He said, only Glennis. <laughs> Which you know, proves my point that, that there's only one thing that men are really afraid of, and that's their wife. And I think most people know that. So we're going to be talking about going supersonic, which means to be able to hear 
uh, above the human range. And what I'm talking about is to be able to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. It's a whole other frequency. And here's what it says in the book of Revelation. It says, let he who has an ear hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. You know what that tells me? That tells me that the Holy Spirit is speaking, but it doesn't mean we're necessarily listening. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Where you can hear something, but you're not really listening. I think every man in this room who's married knows exactly what I'm talking about. And I'm not trying to be too self-disclosing here, but I might be. Let me tell you a really, really true story. Absolutely true story. So, so one day I'm watching American Ninja Warrior. Do you know this show? It's a fantastic show where you've got these guys flying and women, they're flying from trapeze things and doing these things. And I'll tell you, you can't just watch it. It takes a tremendous amount of concentration because their success depends on you, watching every move and willing them into the next event. And, you know, as you're watching, you, you, if you, you can't even, like, look away for a moment because they could miss that grip and boom, down they go into the water and they're disqualified. So I'm down there watching American Ninja Warrior and Kathy comes down out of her mouth. She says, oh, good, you're not busy. I'm thinking, not busy? What are you talking about? I'm watching American Ninja Warrior here. I didn't say that. I just nodded and kept watching because I had to concentrate. So she starts talking, and, 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 and she's talking, and she's saying some things that were probably very important, but I didn't hear a word of it. And she was talking in the background. I knew she was talking. I literally did not hear one word until she said, so what do you think? <laughs> and so now I'm in a critical moment. Do I reveal that I wasn't listening to one word, which would have not gone well for me, or do I fake it and pretend I was listening and just agree with whatever it is she said? So I decided to go with the latter, and so I said, sure, that sounds good to me. So we took up the ballroom dancing. (laughs) And, And my inattentiveness in that moment cost me six months of ballroom dancing. Now, now here, now think about this. I was imagining myself as an American Ninja Warrior. But in fact, what I really am is I'm a ballroom dancer. And you know what? I quite enjoyed it. And I'm very good at the East Coast Swing, frankly. And, <laughs> and the rumba, not too bad. But East Coast Swing, that's my, that's my favorite. And so this is what happens, men. When you don't listen to your wives, you'll never know what you're agreeing to. But I, what are the consequences of not listening to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is speaking. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Holy Spirit is saying. And you know, when I look at Jesus, and I've talked quite a bit about his superpowers, and last week I talked about the secret to the superpowers, but there was one secret I left out, and I saved it for today, and I want to tell you about it, because it goes with my message. And I think it is the single absolute key to Jesus' success. So here's what it says. Jesus said in in John chapter 12 that he only spoke what he heard the Father speak. And in John chapter 5, he said the Son of Man could do nothing on his own, but could only do what he sees the Father do. In other words, Jesus only said what he heard the Holy Spirit say, and he only did what he saw the Holy Spirit do. And so that was, in fact, the thing that gave him such confidence because he actually knew what was going to happen. Now, let me give you an example of that. So Jesus raised, other than himself, three people from the dead. We've talked about this. One of them was Lazarus. My question for you is, were those the only three dead people that he encountered during his life? 
During three, 33 years of life, do you not think there was other dead people, other funerals that he would have gone to? His own father, Joseph, or his supposed father, Joseph, the historians tell us, was, was dead. That's why he's not mentioned in the, in the later gospel. So at some point, Jesus was at that funeral. He did not raise his own father from the dead. So there was probably all kinds of people he didn't raise from the dead. Why did he raise those three? And why, when he did raise them, did he have such extraordinary confidence? And I'll tell you why. Because he only did what he saw the father do. So when he went to the, the funeral of Lazarus, four days late, right? And when he told them to roll the stone away and his disciples said he's going to stink, that's because he's rotting in the grave. And this was a very incredulous, unbelievable moment. There's no way you're going to be able to raise a rotting corpse from the dead. And yet Jesus in this, in this extraordinary moment of boldness says, Lazarus, come forth. There was no doubt in his mind that Lazarus was coming out. Would you agree with that? I mean, imagine if he didn't come out. <laughs> and Jesus looks at the crowd and goes, well, that didn't work. <laughs> My bad. Uncomfortable. <laughs> no, he didn't have that moment because he knew. Why did he know that Lazarus was going to rise from the dead? Because the Father had showed him. Now, you see the difference here. Like, sometimes we pray for people, and, and we hope they're going to get better, or they, we hope there's going to be some change, and we just do it because we're commanded to do it. But there are other times where you know it's going to work. You know that God has led you or, or compelled you to do it. And Jesus, actually, every single thing he did, he knew before he did it what the outcome was going to be. If you knew what the outcome was going to be, would that change how bold you pray? Yes. <laughs> you got that straight. You would do it with great confidence. So let me tell you a story that happened right, right there, right in that spot. This woman, name is Debbie. She was here last night at our service. Uh, we were praying one day, and uh, we invited people with back pain, hip pain, to, to come up. We would pray for them. Debbie came up, and I said, what's wrong? A bunch of people were there watching this. I said, what, what, what do you need prayer for? She said, I got back pain, and I got hip pain, and I suffer with it every single day. And the reason is, my left leg is an inch and a half shorter than my right leg. And in that moment, I knew what God wanted me to do. I said, sit down in this chair. We pulled out a chair. We sat her. Everybody was looking on. We lifted up her legs like this, side by side, straight out. And sure enough, one leg was an inch and a half, not some quarter inch, inch and a half shorter than the other. I prayed, and that shorter leg grew in front of everybody's eyes an inch and a half. The pain disappeared. Her leg grew. She went home that night. And yeah, you can cheer. And God is good. And uh, she went home that night and showed her husband. Her husband, who had lived with her their whole married life, could not believe it. He said, how is this possible? Doesn't go to church. Could not believe this incredible miracle that his wife had just experienced. I asked her last night, because this happened several years ago. I asked her last night. I said, how are those legs doing? Are they still the same length? She said, they're perfect. The pain has been gone this whole time. So it was, a, it was really a remarkable miracle right in her own midst. But I remember when, when we did it, Pastor Dwayne, one of our pastors, he's out at Neverville, he, he came up to me and he said, Mark, that was kind of risky, wasn't it? You pulling her in front of everybody and telling you're, you're, everybody you're going to grow her leg? I said, no, it was no risk at all. And I'll tell you why. I actually saw that the Lord was going to do it. I knew what the outcome was. I just knew that I knew that I knew that I knew. And so there was this tremendous amount of confidence and, you know, I didn't have to just sort of grab that leg and pull it so it was the same length. I just went like this, and, and the, the Lord grew that leg. And see, that's what happens when you listen and tune in to the Holy Spirit. 
So, so I got to tell you this story. So yesterday, Kathy sends me down to the grocery store. She wants me to pick up just a couple of things. So I've got three things. I'm going through the checkout. And the gal says, that'll be $124. I said, $124? Only, only brought three things. And she said, yeah, I know. But your, your mother, who just left here, she said you were going to pay for her groceries. I said, my, my mother? And she points out to the parking lot, and there's this, this woman with a cart full of groceries that, she's told, that I've never seen before in my life. And she's hobbling across the parking lot like this and expecting me to pay for her groceries, pulling some grocery store scam. I said, wait right here, I'll be right back. And I thought, you know, if she'd asked me, maybe I would have paid for her groceries. But she's going to try to do the dine and dash, there's no way. And so I race out there. By then, by the time I get there, she's just getting in her car. And she's just about in. There's only one leg out, and I grabbed her leg. And I started, I was going to pull her out of the car. And so I'm, I'm trying to pull her out of the car and pull her out of the car. And guess what happened? The whole leg came clean off. It was an artificial leg. And she just slammed the door and roared off in her car. And there I was holding an artificial leg. All because I tried to pull her leg just like I'm pulling yours right now. <laughs> Oh, man, I'm having a good time. Aren't you glad you came to church? You would have never heard that one. All right. So let's get serious here for a moment. So uh, we are in John chapter uh, 16. And this is an important verse, and I want you to list carefully. Uh, Verse 12 says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. And he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And you, he will tell you of things to come. He will glorify me and he'll take of what is mine and declare it to you. How many of you, when you listen to that verse, it sounds to you like the Holy Spirit speaks? Isn't that what he's talking about? It says he will speak. He does not speak on his own authority. He will declare it to you. You will hear these things. So clearly the Holy Spirit's job is to speak to us. Our job is to listen. Thank you very much. So, so here it is. Going supersonic. I'm going to give you three ways we can hear the Holy Spirit. I'm going to throw them up the screen. Number one, the still small voice. Number two, the inner witness. Number three, dreams and visions. So the first one is the still small voice. You know, if you're waiting for God to speak you, to you audibly and give you direction in life, you might be waiting a long time. You can almost count it on one hand the number of times God spoke audibly in the Bible to individual people. Normally, that is not how he speaks. And the best example we have is the story of Elijah. We go into 1 Kings chapter 19. We find uh, Elijah... He had uh, taken on and challenged the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel to a test to see whose God would answer by fire. The Lord from heaven answered by fire. And by the end of that story, Elijah slew the 400 prophets of Baal. And then, you've got to love this part of the story, the king's wife, whose name was Jezebel, threatens him and said, by the end of the day, you're going to be dog meat, buddy. And Elijah ran for his life. What's this all about? I mean, men, they're, they're, there's no danger they're afraid of, but they're afraid of women. That's the only thing I can deduce from that story. So he runs, he's hiding from Jezebel, and he's hiding in a cave, and he's feeling all sorry for himself, and he's whining, he's pouting, and God is trying to get his attention. And so this is what it says. It says, and God sent a great wind, but the Lord was not in it. 
And then God sent an earthquake, but the Lord was not in it. And then God sent a great fire, but the Lord was not in it. And then God spoke in a still, small voice. And the very next line is, and Elijah heard it. See, all those big things, all those dramatic things, and God wasn't in them. And the way that God spoke was in the still, small voice. And what we need to do is we need to learn to tune into the still, small voice. And God's not going to thunder. God is going to give you that little hint, that little small thing. And it's something you're going to have to learn to grow in. And the other example I would give is the other prophet was Samuel. When Samuel was just a child, he was being raised by the prophet or the high priest Eli. And one night while he's lying on his bed, he heard him being called, his name being called. And of course, we know it's a still small voice, but he thought it was Eli. So he went and he said, you called? And he said, I didn't call you. So he went back to bed. The Lord spoke to him again. So he went back and he said, you call? Three times this happened. Finally, Eli was smart enough to figure it out and said, that is the Lord speaking to you. Now, it wasn't necessarily an audible voice, but he heard it. He heard this voice and it was God calling him. And he went on to become one of the most significant prophets there ever was. And so what he had to do is he had to learn to distinguish what was the voice of man and what was the voice of the Holy Spirit. And after a period of time and growing in Christ, you learn to recognize that. Now, I have an incredible story to tell you today that happened in this church. And it was about one of our drummers. And uh, for sake of anonymity, I'm going to call him Ringo is what I'm going to call this drummer. And uh, what happened one day, and he had a friend named John. George and Paul are not part of this story, by the way. And what happened one day, he was minding his own business. He was at home. It was an evening. I, I don't know if he was going to go watch TV or something. But he heard the still, small voice very specifically. Just something within him said, go to John's right now. So he thought, huh. And, and, he, and he heard it again. Go to John's right now. So... You know, when God speaks, you need to obey. And so he jumped into his car. He drove over to John's. When he got there, he knocked on the door. Nobody answered. He opened the door. The door was unlocked. He went in. He's calling for anybody home. Nobody was home. And he thought, why am I here? Why is this door open? He went into the garage. He opened the door to garage. And there was John hanging from a rope from the rafter. And John had attempted to take his own life. And Ringo, of course, quickly cut him down. And as it were, he had only been up maybe three or four minutes. And uh, he was hurt, but he actually survived this. And because Ringo had obeyed the voice of the Lord, what would have happened if he had waited a minute, another minute, another two minutes, an hour? What if he thought about it and then went an hour later? It would have been too late. When God spoke, he needed to act, and he acted, and he saved this man's life. And that's, I think, an incredible story. And if I'm going to have a little fun with it to lighten it up a little bit, here's my point I'm trying to make. The moral of the story is, if God can speak to a drummer, he can speak to any of us, right? The next thing you know, he's going to be speaking to bass players, and that'll be a real miracle. And and so the, the, the point I'm making in all this is that God has the ability to speak. The question is, are we listening? And you know, we have a lot of people, 
in particularly in charismatic churches, and they're going around saying, God said this, and God said that, and God said have this for breakfast, and God said wear these pants today, wear the blue dress. And I mean, it's so bogus. Do you think God's really going to give you this you know, directive every moment of every day and speak to you in that kind of way? No. When God speaks, you look in Scripture. When God speaks, he speaks specifically about things that matter, and he gives you warnings, and he gives you clarity. And so, you know, can he speak to you every day? Yes, but he's not going to speak to you about every little thing. And those people go around and say, God said this, and God said that, and God said this, and they have these hotline to heaven. Don't believe it. It's just not true. But when God speaks, you'll know it because his voice is different. So I want to tell you this little autobiographical story. Uh, it's not a big deal, but it was interesting about how the Holy Spirit speaks. And so, you know, I'm a boat guy and was down at the lake one summer and I had one of my boats. I have a little boat. It's a fishing boat, 15 foot with a 25 outboard on the back. And it's an open boat. And so when it rains, it gets filled with rain and I have to go down there in the morning and bail the thing out. You can't just leave it there day after day. And we, one night I tied it up and we went to bed and I was sound asleep and there was a storm overnight. And, you know, you can kind of hear a storm when you're at the lake. You know how that works. You can kind of hear it in the background. Didn't think anything of it. And then uh, about five in the morning, the storm was completely done. It was calm. It was completely quiet. And all of a sudden, I was awakened, and I was bolt upright, sat bolt upright like this. And I felt like the Holy Spirit spoke to me, your boat's on the bottom of the lake. And I went, what? Why would God wake me up at five in the morning and tell me my boat's on the bottom of the lake? So then the sun was not really up yet. And so I walked out, and I was looking out the window down at the dock, and I thought, I don't know what he's talking about. I can, I can see the boat down there. And I thought, uh, maybe that's not the whole boat. Maybe I better go look. So, so I put some shoes on. And I walked down to the dock. Sure enough, my boat was on the, well, the bow was up. The rest of the boat was on the bottom of the lake. And so I'm standing down there. The storm is over. The boat got filled with water, sunk to the bottom of the lake. And I thought, I've got a, I've got a question for the Lord. And my question was, Lord, why didn't you wake me up an hour ago? Before, before the boat was sunk. And I really learned something in this moment. You know, God actually won't necessarily prevent you from encountering adversity and difficulty in life. But he will take care of you. And let me tell you something about a boat. A boat can actually be submerged, and you can salvage that boat if you do it soon enough. And so I knew what I had to do. And I went to the bottom of the, the lake and I pulled that motor off and I winched it up with a rope and I got the boat up and I, I righted it. And then I evacuated the motor and did all the stuff you have to do. There's a process you go through. Within an hour, I had that motor back on that boat running and free of the water. If I had left it there all day or half a day, I probably wouldn't have salvaged the boat. And I thought, Lord, thank you for waking me up at five in the morning. You see, this is how the Lord speaks. He warns us and gives us direction. Is he going to solve every problem in your life? No. But when it really matters, he's going to be there for you. Do you know, I don't know if I've ever told you this before. It was my grandfather who warned the people that the Titanic was going to sink. And he warned them. And he said, it's going to sink. It's going to sink. And he kept warning them. They wouldn't listen. But he didn't care. And he kept insisting. And he continued to warn them that the Titanic was going to sink until they kicked him out of the movie theater. (laughs) Was that a groaner? That seemed pretty good to me. It's funny as anything. Again, not really a true story. You know I make stuff like that up, right? You know stuff like that's not true. People always write me letters and say, that's a crazy story. Well, it didn't happen. That's why it's crazy. All right, so the first thing is this, that he speaks in the still, small voice. The second thing is the inner 
witness. So I have a verse for you. I'm going to read it. Well, maybe I'll read it off the screen. It's Romans chapter 8, verse 15. He says, you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Listen to this. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Did, Did you catch that? The Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit. And you know, you're not always going to hear, hear the still small voice. You may never hear the audible voice. You'll sometimes hear, hear the still small voice. But more often than not, what you do is you get that inner witness. And it's, it's hard to describe what I'm talking about here. It's just when, when God just kind of gives you this sense, you just kind of know. You know it's not something you're making up. And because you have a relationship with him, you just have this sense that this is what he wants to, you to do. And that is the witness of the Holy Spirit. There's lots of examples of it in the scripture where there was no voice, there was no directive. Paul, in in Acts 27, he was being transferred from Jerusalem to to Rome to be tried. He was on the ship there in the Mediterranean. And uh, he goes to the, the, the centurion and he says, I perceive that this journey is going to end in disaster. I recommend you go and take shelter. Now, they wouldn't listen to him. They said, why would they listen to him? He's a prisoner. He didn't say, he didn't say, thus say the Lord. He didn't say the Lord said. It has no reference to him saying the Lord spoke to him and showed him. He merely, it merely says he perceived, he felt something. The Holy Spirit witnessed with his spirit that the journey was in jeopardy. So they wouldn't listen to him. So guess what happens next? They're in a storm. So they're in this big storm. And uh, he goes to them again. And because they've now decided they're going to abandon ship. And he says, if you abandon ship, we will all be lost, we'll all die. He says, if you remain with the ship, he says, the ship will be lost, but the lives will be spared. And so they decided this time they were going to listen to him because they were right last time. Now, he didn't actually, again, say the Lord showed me or the Lord spoke or I heard this voice. And anyway, here's what happened. They ran up on the rocks, the ship was destroyed, but all 276 of those passengers survived. Why? Because they obeyed the inner witness of the Holy Spirit as it was transferred to Paul. And see, sometimes it's a matter of life and death. I have a great story that the pastor of these two young men, he actually told me. And uh, it was in 1996. And these two young men, he had been teaching in his church. His church was in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And he had been teaching his congregation that how to and that they could hear from the Holy Spirit. And when God speaks to you, you need to obey. So these two young guys were in holidays. They were in, they were in Miami, Florida, and they were about to get on a plane. The plane was a, a value jet. Here it is, value jet, uh, flight number uh, 592. The, the, the air, airline is now bankrupt, by the way. And they were about to get on this flight, and they were going to fly from uh, Miami to Atlanta and then home to, to Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, but anyway, as they were about to get on the plane, the, the one friend says to his other, I don't think we're supposed to get on that plane. And his friend said, why not? He says, I don't know why. I just feel this sense. I have this sense that we are not to get on that plane. And we, for whatever reason, God's got a purpose in this. And I don't think we're supposed to get on this plane. You know, I've thought about this story many times. If my friend, my dopey friend, is telling me not to get on a plane and I'm on my way home, I'm probably getting on that plane. I don't know about you, but I don't listen to my friends. And I thought, I'm getting on the plane. I want to go home. I thought, I'm not sure I would have listened. But anyway, he kept on pressing. And he said, no, I really don't think we should get on this plane. So his friend said, okay. So they, they didn't get on the plane. 
The plane took off. They watched as it took off. He turned to his friend and said, see, the plane's fine. Didn't crash on takeoff. Nine minutes later, that DC-9 crashed into the Everglades. Here's the picture. And killed all 110 people on that flight. And they were spared because they had obeyed the voice of the Lord. And so I know what you're thinking. How, how, do I know it's, how do I know it's the voice of the Lord? And whether it's the still small voice or whether it's the inner witness, here's what Jesus said. He said, my sheep know my voice and they follow me. And the fact is, you learned to recognize the voice of the Holy Spirit. And it's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to happen the day you came to Christ. But I'll tell you, if you practice the presence of God, eventually you will figure it out. And you will determine that you can tell the difference between the voice of the Holy Spirit and all the other voices around us. So I have a little story about this one, too. So my mother's sitting right over there. When she turned 80 years old, she asked for a birthday gift. She said, I want all you kids to take me to New York City for a week. Well, just a small little gift that's not much to ask. And uh, so we said, okay, you only turn 80 once. And we booked airline tickets and we booked hotels and we did all that stuff. And a whole bunch of us, I don't know, about 10 or 12 of us, uh, all flew my mom to, uh, to Manhattan. And uh, we, we had arrived, me and my, my brother, uh, one of my brothers, we arrived there first. And we were waiting for everybody else to come. And so we thought, let's make a day of this. And we got on one of those uh, double-decker buses, and we were doing the tour through the city. And then we ended up in Little Italy. And when you're in Little Italy, we were on Canal Street. I mean, there's only one thing you can do, and that's go for Italian, right? So we decided we, were gonna, we got off the bus, and we were going to go, and we were going to find a restaurant. So there we were. We're standing on th- this street. We're in a city of 12 million people. The streets are packed. There's thousands of people. There's a cacophony of noise. There's horns blaring and there's sirens going and cars and and there's people and they're talking and there's people shouting and all kinds of noises all around us. And as we were standing there discussing which restaurant to go, I heard in all of this noise, I heard two words, hey Mark. Now normally I wouldn't turn around because I don't know if you know this, Mark is not, I'm not the only Mark in this world. In a city like New York, there's got to be like 30 of them. I don't know. You know, there, who knows how many marks? So I wouldn't, even, I wouldn't even turn around. But when I heard, hey, Mark, I actually recognized the voice as my other brother, who I didn't know was even in New York yet. And when I heard, hey, Mark, I turned around and not 50 feet behind me was my other brother calling after me in the midst of this, this, this uh, crowd of people and all of this noise. I heard his voice. It stood out, not because of what he said, but because I recognized his voice. I mean, it was a crazy thing. 12 million people. What are the chances of running into my brother? Miles and miles away from our actual hotel. It it was infinitesimal that I would even bump into my brother, let alone recognize him. I mean, I can't even find Kathy in the Walmart, for goodness sakes. And, And don't get me started on Ikea, that labyrinth from hell. I mean, it's the worst. But here's, here's the key on this, people, is that we can practice the presence of God and the Lord will teach us how to hear his voice. My sheep know me and they hear my voice and they follow me. So the first thing is this. It's a still small voice. The second thing is the inner witness. And the last and final thing is dreams and visions. And you know, dreams and visions are, are, are kind of simple, really. I mean, it says, uh, Joel 2.28, that in that day, I'll send my spirit upon all flesh. 
Your, your sons and your daughters will prophesy on your young men and your old men. And then it says this, your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. And the difference between a vision and a dream is not much. The dream happens while you're asleep. The vision happens while you're awake. They're both kind of pictures, and and God speaks to you. And we find from Scripture that dreams and visions were the language of the Holy Spirit. Joseph was led his entire life by dreams, was he not? The sheaves bowing down to his sheep, that was a vector for his whole life. The Pharaoh having the dream about the seven fat cows and the seven lean cows and the interpretation of that. All about dreams. The wise men were warned not to return to Jerusalem and tell Herod where the baby Jesus was born. And so God speaks to us not only in visions during the wake, not only in the still small voice, but in dreams. And here's how I figure it. I figure that some of us are such knuckleheads and we have so much noise going on in our life and the TV's always on, we're always talking, and we're always listening to the radio and we never shut up. Some of you, you can't hear from God because you never shut up. You know how I know that? I'm one of those guys. I'm one of those guys. And so God has to wait till we're asleep and talk to us because we're so thick-headed. And I'll, and I'll prove it to you. Ready for this? This is from Job chapter 33. For God speaks in one way, And in two, though man does not perceive it, in a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falls upon men, while they slumber in their beds, then he opens the ears of men and terrifies them with warnings. And you see, that's what God does. If he can't get through to you while you're awake, he'll just talk to you while you're asleep. And he'll give you dreams And you have to interpret those dreams. You have to figure those out. See, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Not all dreams are of God. You know that? I mean, you have those wild, harebrained dreams. I have people coming up, they tell me this really strange, weird dream. Say, Pastor Mark, what does that dream mean? I said, that dream means you had too much pizza before you went to bed. And now you have to pee and whatever else. It has nothing to do with anything. See, here's how you know. You have a dream, it's just a dream. But when you wake up in the morning and you had a dream... And God gives you that inner witness, that sense that he was trying to talk to you. Now you ask him, Lord, what are you trying to say? Because nine times out of ten, you're going to have to interpret it. It's not always super clear. And I can't tell you how many dreams I've had that have been of the Lord. And I've woken up and I've said, Lord, is that that of you? I'll I'll just tell you one in closing just to illustrate this. So uh, one night I had this dream about an old friend of mine that I had not seen for 20 years. I went to university with him. We were big buds in university, and then he graduated, he moved away. Never saw him again for 20 years. For 20 years, I didn't think about him. I never even gave him a thought, not once, in 20 years. And then one night, I dream about him, and that he needs me to reach out. There's something, something. He didn't know what. And so I thought, I have to call that guy. Why would I dream about something, somebody that I had not seen in 20 years, had not been thinking about ever, and I thought, i got to track him down. There's a reason God gave me that dream. So, you know, the internet is pretty swell. You can find anybody anywhere. And so I went online and found out where he lived. found out his phone number. I phoned him up out of the blue. He was shocked that I was phoning him. He was living in another city. I said, Paul, how are you doing? We chatted for a moment. And I just decided, what do I care whether he's offended by this? I'm just going to tell him why I'm calling him. I say, I had a dream last night. And I feel like God gave me this dream for you. And I feel like God had called me up because you were in danger or crisis, and he wanted to talk to you. I said, so what's going on in your life? He says nothing for the longest time on the phone. He says, 
Mark, my whole life's falling apart. I'm losing my business. My wife left me, and I'm a, I'm a dreadful alcoholic. I have destroyed my life. He didn't want to tell me that. At first, he said he was fine. But all of a sudden, this cracked this thing open, and I had an opportunity to share the gospel with him and say, look, Paul, you've destroyed your life on your own, and what you need is Jesus. I thought, what do I care if he gets offended by the gospel? I'll probably never see him for another 20 years, or maybe never. I'm going to go for it, right? Why are we so shy? Why are we so embarrassed of the gospel? I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God to those that will believe it. So anyway, I shared the gospel with him. I don't know what the whole end outcome was because I haven't talked to him or seen him since, but I thought at least he had a chance to hear the gospel and I had an opportunity to obey the dream that God had given me. You see, God wants to speak to us. He can speak to each and every one of you. Let he who has an ear hear what the Holy Spirit says. Let's do it, folks. We need to go supersonic. Let's stand together, shall we? So I want to ask you to do something today. We're going to do two things. Uh, These are our little activations. And I just want you to close your eyes just for a moment. We're going to do our activation on this. I'm going to pray for you. And we're going to take about a minute after I've finished praying. And you're going to listen to the Holy Spirit. And he might speak to you in a still, small voice. He might give you an inner witness or something. Maybe you'll fall asleep and have a dream. I don't know. (laughs) Probably not. But he might give you a picture of something. He might give you an impression of something. And so I want you to focus. I want you to block out everything else you could be thinking about in this moment. And I'm going to pray for you. And then when I'm done praying, I'm going to say amen. And then we're just going to be silent. We're going to let the Holy Spirit speak. So, Father, we thank you for your word. We don't think you would tell us all this stuff from Scripture that we can hear the Holy Spirit if it weren't true. And we don't think you'd be teaching us about the still small voice and the inner witness if it weren't true. And Holy Spirit, we invite you here today and we ask that you would open up the ears and open up the hearts to every single one of us and that you would speak to us and that you would give us direction, that we would call on you and you would show us great and mighty things in which we know not. And so, Father, we ask your Holy Spirit to speak to each one of us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I'm going to pause there. Probably should have given you longer to do that, but uh, let me ask you this question. You can open your eyes. Let me ask you this question. How many of you, in some way or fashion, feel like they heard something from the Holy Spirit? Let me see your hands. How many heard something? Hands all over the place. And you see, God will speak to you. The problem is we just don't give him a chance. And for those of you that didn't raise your hand, here's what I want you to do. Don't go through this Thanksgiving weekend without taking a moment by yourself in the quietness where you take that moment, like in, in Elijah's cave, and you listen to the still small voice. And I'm telling you, 
that if you will give him that space, he will speak to you. And some of you are going to emerge from this weekend and go, that was so precious that God spoke to me this weekend. So that's your assignment. Notice I've been giving you assignments every week. Hasn't this been fun? Most churches don't give assignments. And so that's your assignment uh, for today. Now, we have one more thing to do. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Because one of the things we never do is we never close the service without inviting people to make a decision for Christ. Everything I've said today, everything I say any day, is predicated on a, upon a relationship with Jesus. That he, you can't hear the Holy Spirit if you don't have a relationship with the Son. And if you've never had that definitive moment where you've invited Jesus into your life to be your Lord and Savior, what better time than Thanksgiving? What better moment than this moment? And if you don't know what your eternity holds, if you don't know you're on your way to heaven, if you, maybe you've been baptized as a child, that's not the point. Have you made a decision as an adult to follow Christ? And if you haven't done that, I want to give you that opportunity today. So every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody's looking around. But if that is you, and you want to make that decision, I just want you to slip up your hand. Just take a moment, slip up your hand, let me see it. And when I've seen it, you can put it down. Just take a moment. Thank you on the far side. Anybody else want to join these folks? Take a moment. Maybe some of you are here, and you knew them in the past, and you have slipped away, and you know you have, and you've been feel, felt drawn all morning to here today. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand as well. Just take a moment. Thank you. All right. Great. Fantastic. Several hands in the room. All right. I said I wouldn't single anybody out, so we're all praying together. You ready? Let's go. Lord Jesus, thank you for the work of the cross that you rescued me when I was far from you. And you've brought me into relationship with you. You not only took my sin away, but when you rose from the dead, you brought me into relationship. And I'm a child of the living God. And I know you. And I hear your voice. And I follow you. And I thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's give him a shout, shall we? Thanks for joining us. We want to help you know God, live free, and find purpose. To find resources to grow in your relationship with Christ, go to churchoftherock.ca slash next. You can also join us at one of our campuses, including our interactive online campus at churchoftherock.live. For locations, service times, or to support the ministry of Church of the Rock, please go to churchoftherock.ca or download the Church of the Rock app.